Sean? You can be heard. Thank you. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to do something today I've never done before. And that is instead of doing a PowerPoint, or instead of uh, speaking to you, I'm going to let you see what I'm saying. I've scripted this out. Um, uh, it might be easier for you to follow and easier for you to retain. Four principles for walking the road less traveled in the year ahead. Uh, it's based on the fact that uh, during this uh, season, we read the book of Ecclesiastes, which speaks about the frailty of life. And uh, Sukkot is a time when we contemplate the provisions of God in the midst of the frailties of life. So let us begin. This week, we were made even more conscious of COVID-19 and of the precarious, precariousness of life. It is fascinating that all of this happened in proximity to Sukkot, which we begin celebrating today. Like our ancestors, we too live precarious, vulnerable lives, dependent upon the sustenance and shelter God provides, yet always conscious of the threats around us and the frailty of our existence. This is being made so clear to us by the COVID-19 pandemic and the recent hospitalization of President Trump and of others around him. Sukkot is a festival recording the realities of the journey to our final destination, working things out in the hard scrabble of existence. Thus, the struggle for righteousness toward the consummation of all things. It's a holy week about the vulnerabilities of life and the provisions of God. This is why we eat meals, even sleep in flimsy shacks, reminding ourselves that we are provided for by God amidst life's vulnerabilities. I want to remind us that true maturity means learning to appreciate the finite rewards of these everyday struggles along the way. You can't have life without struggle. True maturity accepts that the life worth living will invariably involve struggles, meeting challenges, and not simply consist, sorry, and not simply consist of jumping for one easy satisfaction to the next. And if we are to lead renewed lives in the year ahead, if we are to live out the implications of the atonement we celebrated this Yom Kippur, then we must learn to shoulder the day-to-day -day responsibilities of living as the liberated people of God, taking satisfaction in the good things life provides, while learning to steer clear of the counterfeits we find along the way the counterfeit satisfactions, the escapes, the indulgences, the junk food of life. Where can we find help in our struggle to practice faithfulness amidst the stresses and detours of the year ahead? Fortunately on Sukkot, we read Kohelet, the book of Ecclesiastes. In this text, we find helpful directions for our journey, 
not only for the year ahead, but for all the years ahead. From this rich and enigmatic book, today let's consider four principles to guide us in paths of faithfulness in the coming year, what we might term the road less traveled. The first principle, if we would be faithful in the year ahead, we must remember that life is a puzzle which only God can solve. Numerous times the writer of Ecclesiastes underscores the inscrutability of life, how finding life's purpose and inner logic eludes even the most diligent efforts of the most diligent pursuer. Especially he points out how futile and vexing it is to try and figure out the inequities and the injustices of life. For instance, he talks about the unfairness of the strong oppressing the weak. He talks about the unfairness of one person laboring and the other benefiting from the fruits of his labor. He talks about the burden of loneliness. He talks about the quest for the meaning of life. If we try and figure out why certain things happened and others didn't, why the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer, why executives of failing financial institutions get multi-million dollar parachutes while thousands of common people see their life savings disappear in a week. If we try to figure these things out, why so many good people died of COVID-19, we will grow crazy or terminally cynical. We must come to the point where we can just say without bitterness, God is good. God knows what he's doing. Even though I cannot understand his ways. And even though life is often cruel. Second principle. If we would be faithful to, uh, in the year ahead, we must avoid being seduced by the believable but empty propositions and pleasures of a world estranged from God. We need, you know, Paul says, don't let the world press you into its mold. That's what Ecclesiastes is talking about here. Over and again, the writer speaks to the futility of trying to find a good life apart from one's relationship with God. He speaks of the emptiness of all things, which although not themselves evil, lose their value and satisfaction when they're pursued outside of the context of submission to the will of God. Even neutral things. Baseball, your wife, your car, your job, your friends, anything you mention can become an idol that you rely upon instead of relying upon God. You pay God lip service and you trust in other things. That's foolish. So he speaks against the isolation and emptiness, the emptiness of the isolated enjoyment of labor, your work, of the riches of human experience, of human accomplishments, all efforts to leave one's mark, of aesthetic and sensual pleasures, of human philosophy and learning. All is summarized by this statement. Uh, I'd like someone to read this. Uh, Mark, if you're near the microphone, would you read it? Otherwise, I will ask Elaine to read. 
So I came to hate life because the activities done under the sun were loathsome to me, since everything is meaningless and feeding on wind. I hated all the things for which I had worked under the sun because I saw that I would have to leave them to the man who will come after me. Who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the things I worked for and which demonstrated how wise I am under the sun. This too is pointless. Thus I came to despair over all the things I had worked for under the sun. Here is a man whose work is done with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, yet he has to leave it to someone who has put no work into it. This is not only pointless, but a great evil. For what does a person get from all his efforts and ambitions permeating the work he does under the sun? His whole life is one of pain, and his work is full of stress. Even at night, his mind gets no rest. This, too, is pointless. We must always remember that the writer is not speaking of the futility and the emptiness of life itself, but only of the emptiness of life and of its pleasures whenever these things are pursued apart from a relationship with God. Third principle. If we would be faithful in the year ahead, we must learn to enjoy the basic pleasures of life, always seeing them as blessings from a creator. For example, it's good to take pleasure in your work. It's good to take pleasure in food and in drink. These are things that God gave us. In chapter three, he says, so I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? He also says that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. And then we have this summation statement. Jacob, if you're around, Jacob, would you read this, please? Okay. There we go. So I grew great, surpassing all who preceded me in Yerushalayim. My wisdom, too, stayed with me. I denied my eyes nothing they wanted. I withheld no pleasure from myself, for I took pleasure in all my work, and this was my reward for all my work. Then I looked at all that my hands had accomplished, at the work I had toiled at, and I saw that it was all meaningless and feeding on the wind, and that there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I decided to look more carefully at wisdom, stupidity, and foolishness. For what can the man who succeeds the king do except what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is more useful than foolishness, just as light is more useful than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, yet the same fate awaits them all. Also, everyone to whom God has given riches and wealth, along with the power to enjoy it, so that he takes his allotted portion and finds pleasure in his work, this is a gift of God. For he will not brood over the fact that his life is short, since God keeps him occupied with what will bring him joy. Yeah, this is an amazingly existentialist book. It's really extraordinary. Moving on. It's a kind of a 
sanctified existentialism, we find the sanctification here in this last principle. If we would be faithful in the year ahead, we must remember that satisfaction is only found by those who revere and obey God. At the end of the book, the writer says this, now all has been heard. Here is a conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. With the help of God, we must come to really believe that accepting the struggles of living as his people will, in the long haul, be far more rewarding than taking an end run around the road less traveled. Ultimately, God calls us to follow the road less traveled, a way of life more disciplined than that admired in our culture nowadays. People often link this kind of option to a poem by Robert Frost called The Road Not Taken. I'm gonna ask Nissa to read this, please. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. If we would follow God in the year ahead, there will be many roads we will choose to not take. In fact, if we would follow God in the years ahead, there must be many roads that we choose to reject. We must learn to realize that the only road we want to travel is that which leads toward better pleasing and glorifying God. Yeshua traveled a road which ended with his accepting the arrangement, not my will, but thine be done. It is a life against the grain of the culture around us and against the pull of our own human nature. Only those who are being renewed by the Spirit will take the higher road. Only those who have been supernaturally turned into lovers of God will be able to walk that road. Let's learn to walk that road together as friends and as a spiritual family. Let's learn to not follow the ultimately disappointment, disappointing enticements seductively calling to us from within our board and overly entertained culture. Instead, let's walk the road less traveled, the road that leads ever deeper into the will of God and fellowship with him. Let's walk his walk and just maybe others might follow us rather than the other way around. That's what I have to share with you, this Sukkot. There is so much more that could have been said.